Hey folks, David here. Just before we get started with episode 39, I wanted to give my apologies for the erratic schedule of the show the last few weeks uh, between William and Jessica's wedding, William and Jessica co-hosts of Sci-Fi Sunday, and my finishing post-production on the film that I've been producing. Things have been really up in the air and really crazy, and it's been very hard to get time set aside to put some podcasts out. So we've missed a few release release days, and I apologize for that. We should be getting back onto a regular schedule starting next week, and we'll be bringing you new episodes on Mondays and Wednesdays of The Intellectual Podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for sticking with us through the kind of erratic and sporadic period of the past month. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Podcast, episode 39. I'm your host, Dave Dawson. On today's show, we have Timothy Healy, a former pilot turned circumnavigator, who we had the pleasure of sitting on the deck of his boat, Liberty Calls, with here in San Diego Bay on the eve of his journey around the world. That's right, Timothy has uh, left his piloting gig and hopped on his boat to sail around the world, something that I personally really want to do someday and actually started the process of prepping myself for a few years back. So this was a very personal interview for me, a chance to talk to somebody who's out doing something that I'm very passionately leaning towards doing uh, at some point down the road when I have a little bit of, uh, well, a little bit of time and money. It does take a little bit of money to sail around the world. So Timothy is currently in Puerto Vallarta after he chatted with us. He headed out towards the Marquesai from San Diego Bay, and he got quite a ways down before he hit some bad weather and also got uh, got ill and had to pull in towards shore. So he's in Puerto Vallarta recouping, and I'm sure getting ready to head back out and keep the journey going. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of the Intellectual Podcast, live from a boat. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. Uh, so I'm sitting here on deck of the boat. This is the Liberty Call. Liberty Call yeah. out of San Francisco. And Tim is getting ready to head out on a round-the-world voyage on his boat doing something I desperately wanted to do a few years ago. Still, Still. want to do. Still. Just not quite as desperate to do it right away. <laughs> But, um, yeah, you're a pilot, right? I am. And I was, I guess. You dropped being a pilot in favor of running off on a boat. How, how did this come about? Ooh. Originally, you know, the seeds were planted way back because I learned to sail before I can remember. My dad taught me, and it's, it's always been there. And I know it was a dream of his, too. And so I think that was where the original, the original seeds got planted. Um, you and I are kindred spirits that way because my dad and I had the same, the same thing going. Unfortunately, my dad moved on before we could do that together. Uh, sorry to hear that. So, but yeah, and then recently, um, just the job situation and the situation, my family situation with my daughters, and uh, this lady right here, really 
sort of said, why aren't you doing this now? And who's this lady right here smiling at you from down in the galley? This is Andres. This is my honey. <laughs> but she uh, she really she kind of pushed it over the top and said, you know what? You've, you've been talking about this forever. You've been dreaming about it forever. Got the resources. The timing's right. Make it happen. Fantastic and, uh, to have a woman who supports you like that. Yeah? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> we could all be so lucky. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> I want to do this crazy thing. Go ahead. You should absolutely you should do, do it. it. There's no other. There's no other option. So yeah. So when you made the decision that you wanted to do that, did you already own this boat? I did. Yeah, I've had it for about four years, and uh, I've been living on it in Emeryville. So it was, I thought it was mostly set up, and then the last few months have been uh, a trial, a test. <laughs> You so you you you've been living on this boat prior to, to all of this. Yes, I have. So yeah. you have an idea already of what it's like to be on a boat full time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we were talking last night about your checklist <laughs> for leaving. <laughs> the lists. How different is it prepping for going on the the world cruise to just living on the boat on a normal day to day basis? You know, I really didn't realize how much more it would be. How what a big effort it was to put it all together. Just everything from figuring out how you're keeping in touch, navigation, food, transportation. You saw, you know, getting out here. Yeah, just, we had fun uh, rowing slash sailing on the way into the boat. <laughs> I think a trolling motor's in your future. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, probably on the list. But... Yeah, just we, so we came up with a, a must-do list, mm -hmm. and then a should-do list, and then a would-be-nice list, and you know it was pages and pages of things that you don't need to live at the dock in the marina, but you might need out there. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of it's guesswork because you haven't done it, I haven't done it, so how do you? How do you prepare for something? Well, lots of reading and what did other people do? But when you read these things, as you well know, there's... Everybody's got an opinion. There's a huge <laughs> range of mm -hmm. what's reasonable to have. There are people out there with no life raft, with no nothing that, you know, eat fish that they catch and live on nothing. Everything from there to... You know, people who have retired and took their whole life savings, sold their house and spent, you know, half a million or more dollars to outfit their boat with every gadget and everything. So yeah. so finding a what's reasonable for me and and sensible and it was it was a it was a big project. Yeah. Well, when, was I, a big project. when I went and started talking about doing it, like I wanted to take some people with me and our, yeah. friend, our friend Jesse's one of them. And, uh, my friend Josh and I was talking to the, both of them and I really wanted to, for me, it was about getting out there and kind of getting back to basics and figuring out just how little we really need to get by on. Sure. Sure. And Thoreau, uh, right? Yeah. You know, and I think the difficulty Josh had was how much can he bring with him of his normal life? <laughs> You know, and Jesse was somewhere in, in between. Like, and um, 
Jesse was really insistent on the technology, though. Like, we got to have the best boat and all the best navigation and everything else. Sure, sure. Um, and pilots, just amongst the three of us, it was... Oh, finding a balance. It was wicked how different the three of us would approach that trip if we went all the way to doing it together. And I think that's maybe part of the reason why it kind of fell apart. But, um, but yeah, everybody's got an opinion. And everybody's opinion comes from their own background and what they're quote-unquote comfortable with. Well, and I got to think. I think you got to be a little crazy to begin with just to hop in a boat and <laughs> sail off into the, into the distance. But maybe. there's a certain level of crazy that everybody's comfortable with. <laughs> Some people want to bring their entire home on the boat. Well, and I, and like you said, I got a, I got a feeling that, you know, I prepared like I think I'll need, but you don't know until you get out there. And then my guess is you find that level after you've been doing it a while. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I brought all this extra stuff that is just taking up space and I don't need. And I mean, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I think you'll, you'll probably find yourself making adjustments as you go. You'll pull into port somewhere and, you know, in the 30 days that you were alone on your boat with no one to talk to, you'll go, I didn't need any of that. Right. <laughs> you know, that's just added weight, but I wish I had more Absolutely, you know, yeah. sardines and cans or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I did almost everything that you read. They say, you know, you can do your staples for food or for entertainment but you better have some sort of uh, treats, something that's something that uh, you can get excited about. So when you're no wind and sitting and and the boat's rolling and you're feeling like you're not getting anywhere, that you can treat yourself somehow. Mm -hmm. So is it little hard, some special hard candy, or uh, for me, it's little uh, olives. I like a, uh, now I forgot what they're called. Kalamata olives. Mm-hmm. Yep. But just little things. I guess, I think chocolate was a big one. Maybe that was big with the women. But, <laughs> well, but just little things. Certainly once you get so, away from shore, it, it's hard to even gauge sometimes that you're even getting anywhere. You know, <laughs> short of looking at your navigation and seeing a little dot on the map move forward, you know, the ocean looks the same for couple thousand miles right for sure for sure when and, i heard and somebody described cruising around the world on a sailboat as traveling around the world at a walking pace <laughs> um i think that's probably true so i it's got to be difficult at some point you're feeling like oh am i actually going anywhere <laughs> well i've talked to other cruisers and some of them say you know they just turn the nav stuff off and just look at it once a day because then you the you know you'll see is... some you'll see oh 100, 100 miles progress okay that's good but yeah. if you you know if you've constantly got it going it's just yeah a walking pace I, for sure I even discovered that for myself when I was sailing in Lake Michigan oh yeah because <clears throat> the distances we sailed there were were, yeah. were pretty significant it's, it's big not water a small lake for um, sure. But I, I, yeah, I found the same thing. If I sat there and stared at the the GPS for an hour, <laughs> okay. oh God, we're not getting anywhere. <laughs> but if I waited and only looked at it every couple hours, and I'm like, oh, look at how much, it's how progress. much we've covered. It's progress. Know, it feels good. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, but it, it's going to be all about changing perspective. I think constantly as you go. I yeah, I'm. I think I'm. Even though I think I'm mentally prepared, I think it's 
such a change of pace from what we're used to. You know, I travel uh, to uh, Mexico and Belize and even Canada. You, you get out of the U.S. and the pace of life in general is just different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, flying airplanes, you get to experience this a little bit. And if you're expecting sort of the American 24-7 pace of I can get anything I want right now, it just doesn't work that way out there. So I think I have a little taste of it. Doing it full time may be a different story. I don't know. <laughs> well, in, I think you're going to find after days of solitude on this boat, once you finally <laughs> land on an island somewhere in the South Pacific, no matter what the pace is there, it's going to feel fast. <laughs> that could be. Because <laughs> your day to day on this boat is going to get very slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully. I, we don't want it to be panic and not too torment. Not too much excitement, no. <laughs> um, what, what, uh, what path are you planning on taking? You're, you're going from here in San Diego to the Marquesai? Direct to the Marquesas, yeah. And then where do you plan on going from there? Um, well, wander through. So there's three major groups there. I guess there's five total groups of islands there. Mm -hmm. But uh, So you've got Marquesas, then Tuamotos, and then the Societies, which is where Tahiti is. And uh, and then after sort of wandering through those, I'm thinking a couple months there. Uh, then you have a choice. And I was thinking American Samoa just because I was curious what America outside of America looks like. But you can either go there or the Cook Islands. And then after that, it's Fiji, New Caledonia, and then over to Australia to see, do some diving in the Great Barrier Reef. Can I tell you how jealous I am of the next few months of your life? It's, a, it's a, <laughs> just it's ahead of exciting, time. I'm just tell exciting you, I'm really times. <laughs> <laughs> exciting, ex exciting prospects for sure. Yeah, the South Pacific is the part of the journey that <clears throat> I personally am looking forward to when I get around to doing the trip. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, Europe doesn't hold much fascination to me. Africa holds a little bit if you end up sailing anywhere around Africa, but so much of Africa is dangerous to sail around. Yeah. So most people just try to get through there as quick as they can. Um, well, I'm looking forward to that too, just because it's it, it's so different from anything that I've seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've you know spent time in Europe and uh, a little bit in Central America and you know the North Americas, obviously, but. I think Africa is sort of the wild west and it besides the you know issues with pirates and uh, unrest with governments depending on where you go and sharks that jump out of the water <laughs> I mean there's only one place in the world that that happens <laughs> really mm -hmm. I, didn't, I hadn't even heard that one shark week you gotta love shark week yeah okay <laughs> but yeah I don't know it just sounds it just sounds interesting in that it's so different from anything that that I've known I think the South Pacific for me, maybe it's because I'm half Filipino. Right, um, right. I just have a romanticism about the islands. I, I love the islands. I love the island life to begin with. Sure. Um, I think that's why sailing holds a particular appeal to me. Um, that Definitely. island time lifestyle, I, you know. I think, I, I I love, think it's tough I to I love beat. turning my phone off. <laughs> I love not having internet connection. Unplug a little, yeah. Just being unplugged for however long it takes to get where I'm going, you know. And I'll get there when I get there. I love that. Nice. So contrary to the way we live here in the States, especially. Well, you sound like you're already primed for it, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just got to 
get through a few things first. <laughs> okay. Um, your family, uh, you mentioned you have daughters and your dad. and I do. Obviously, yeah. you're very supportive, significant other here. Um, how are the rest of them taking the idea of you taking off for what you're planning a year and a half, right? Yeah. Amazingly, amazingly supportive. I have just a really wonderful family. And, uh, you know, when I told them I was doing this, I think initially it was a little bit of a shock. My my mother's a traveler. She just loves, she wants to go anywhere, anytime, and just ready to go. Um, some others might be a little more conservative, but just the idea of uh, something bigger as soon as they you know, hear me talk about it and I light up a little bit. It's, Oh, obviously you have Mm -hmm. to do this. And then it's been nothing but support. I spent, like I told you before, a month and a half or so building the dinghy to go along with the big boat. That's right. You built your dinghy by hand. Yeah. Not everybody does that. In my dad's garage. (laughs) And it was such a great experience, you know, working with him. I had, I don't think we've ever spent that much time, you know, on a project and focused and, and working. And he really, uh, he drove it. He's, he's a good woodworker and he's very sort of detail oriented. And, uh, and he really drove it along, dragged me through it, to be honest. It was, (laughs) it was tough because it was a way bigger project than I had expected. But, Mm -hmm. but, um, probably a really good experience to have though because one thing that's true once you once you leave port here and you start heading out <clears throat> you're gonna have to be completely self-sufficient absolutely anything yeah. goes wrong on the boat you're gonna need to get your hands dirty and get in there and get it fixed figure it out absolutely uh, you even had a problem on the way down here from san francisco right you had an alternator bracket snap. we did yeah what a what a strange unexpected thing to break and so it was really good you know the the shakedowns coming from San Francisco to Los Angeles and then coming down here have really paid off in one, getting things fixed that, you know, would have broken really way out there. Excuse me. <clears throat> but two, just sort of uh, building that confidence that, all right, here's something really unexpected. You can't prepare for it. You can't have a spare of everything. It, right. The boat just won't hold it. And so how do you go about dealing with these sort of these sort of things that pop up and can you handle it? And um, I think it went pretty well. It, what was your solution? It was bubble gum? And oh, JB my gosh. And- Just, yeah, JB, <coughs> JB welded the thing together and, and wired it. It was sort of a farm fix, you know, bubble gum and bailing wire. And uh, <laughs> but it worked. Mm-hmm. And then and then after all that worry about well, how much motor time are we really going to have? Because the thing, you know, the, the belt runs your water pump too. So you don't have the engine. If there's no belt, there's no engine. And so how much time are we going to have to be able to motor it? Well, then Jesse drove me. I kept wanting to turn it on because the water, we, we were so close and the wind was just so light. And I kept saying, oh, let's just, we should just turn it on and go in. He says, oh, we're doing okay. Let's keep sailing. And we sailed it. We ended up sailing it all the way to the dock. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool. Well, and that was probably a good uh, a good experience to go through because you're not going to want to motor as much as you can. Absolutely once not. Once you're out yeah. of here because gas becomes a commodity. It's hard to come by. Good gas is even harder to come by. 
don't get fuel in Mexico. Well, and gas is and gas is your electricity on here too. Yeah. I mean, I have wind and I have solar, but depending on how you use energy, right. you know, you're you have to run the diesel to recharge the batteries at some point. Mm-hmm. It just it's just not enough. There's not enough solar and not enough wind to to sustain the thing indefinitely. So yeah, you don't want to you don't want to spend too much time. You know, yeah, it's, pushing, it's, it's, pushing the boat with the prop. Yeah, it's always going to be an interesting balance between I want to get there and I need to conserve. It's it's <laughs> well, it was good, Jesse. Jesse, you know, just yeah, just take a deep breath. And uh, well, Jesse's also really good at we'll being late it. for everything. So you know, he's <laughs> he's never in a rush to get anywhere, which I find really odd for a pilot. Confusing for a jet pilot. <laughs> just got it backwards. I have to get you on sometime, Jesse. Talk about flying jets. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what is, uh, what is, I mean, outside of Africa, what is the thing that you're most looking forward to, um, on the South Pacific? Like, is there a specific Island you're, you're really looking forward to seeing? Uh, well, like I said, diving the Great Barrier Reef is a huge, I know that's not exactly South Pacific, but that's a, that's a huge thing. And then just the experience of the cultures. I've never been South of the equator. I mean, I've done quite a bit of traveling. I've been to, I think, 16 countries. And the thing I find most interesting is sort of getting out of the touristy areas. Mm-hmm. And when you meet the people who are just living their lives, that's the most interesting thing. And when you ask them about it, they're, they're so surprised that you have any interest at all that, you know, they're inviting you into their living room. Come come have dinner with us. And, right. And I just enjoy that sort of experience. And I remember wandering around Mexico on one of our trips and I got out in this town and they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> because <laughs> they just didn't see tourists at right, all. Right. I said, well, I heard, you know, this was the home of, oh no, I forgot the name of the fruit. There was some, there's some fruit that originated there. It was outside of Aguas Calientes. And, uh, and they said, they said, well, yeah, how did you know that? Well, come see, and we do this, and this is what we make out of it. And, you know, the guy one owned, thing a, I have owned found, a shop. One and, thing I have found over the years is people are very happy to talk about themselves and the places they're from. It's 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 so interesting, though. Everybody's got a story. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, it amazes me when you get outside and you get out of the, you get out of the tourist areas where, you know, they're sort of geared to extract money from you and, it's uh, jet skis and parasailing and that kind of stuff. You get outside, and that's where I—that's what I find interesting. Yeah, the tourist areas. I mean, they have their appeal, but sure, sure. Um, you know, you, you mentioned your dad got you sailing, and, and my dad and I talked about sailing a lot. But my dad took me on trips all the time. Oh, nice! And he always talked to me about the journeys he took when he was younger, mm-hmm. and probably the the journey of his the story of his that shaped my behavior on trips the most was he and his buddy had shore leave uh in japan one time and they got off the boat and they went to the train station they hopped on the train and they weren't going to get off the train until they stopped seeing english words at the stops <laughs> okay so he said he said they wrote about maybe 10 stops out outside of Tokyo before they finally got to a stop that had no English. 
Right. There was no English on any sign anywhere. Right. So they got off there and they walked into town. Nobody in town spoke English. They were the only two white boys walking through the city streets. <laughs> they just wanted to find a place to eat. And they basically had to follow their nose because they didn't recognize what any words were. Sure. So they smelled something sound, smelled good. They walked into the restaurant, sat down. They were handed a menu completely in Japanese. My dad just pointed Point, at the menu. Pointed and went, numbers, number gestured eight. the I don't know <laughs> English, you know. <laughs> pointed to the waiter and pointed at the menu, and, you know, just kind of said, you wow. know, bring whatever. <laughs> and so the the waiter brought him food, and they had no idea what was going to come, and they had this like incredibly great, authentic Japanese meal. Wow! And uh, he didn't even know how much to pay. <laughs> So, you know, the bill came and, and the waiter, you know, handed him the bill. And my dad just pulled a wada yen out and <laughs> held it out to him, shook his head. Said, I don't know. You know, Better help us out. And he said the guy very meticulously picked out a very specific amount and, you know, wow. didn't take the whole wad of money. You know? Wow. He said it was the best experience in Japan he ever had was that one time that he he got out of the out of the main city and away from anybody who could speak English. That's so cool. It's amazing so. what you can do with, you know, sign language. Yeah. I mean just not not American sign language but just, you know, just pointing very and rudimentary sort of trying to <laughs> I don't know. trying to describe what you want. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I you know, I think it, in my experience the sailing allows you to have more of those kinds of experiences because so. generally you're going to pull into ports. Um, or anchor out somewhere and you're going to enter into towns in the non, non-traditional way, in the way we speak of traditional today, flying in somewhere. Sure, sure. You're coming in the classic way, you know, from the ocean. And uh, a lot of those ocean entrances are the neglected parts of town now. Yeah, <laughs> You know, in absolutely. a lot of places. So you're not going to be hit with the taxi cabs and, you know, all the little vendors trying to hit you up for stuff. For sure. And is they're all over at the cruise port terminal, you know, on the other side of the bay. <laughs> right, right. When I think you get outside, you can end up in places that aren't served by, you know, aren't served by air at all. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these little islands, it sounds like, you know, from what I'm reading, it's, yeah, there's a village there. Yeah. They fish and they raise their own vegetables and live their life and don't really have a lot of interaction with the outside world mm-hmm. and that's that seems pretty amazing to me you know yeah. how, how connected we are in this country you can go to the littlest town in the middle of nowhere in in nebraska and you know they've got the internet it's it's all so connected but it sounds like some of these are some of these places are living not much differently than they did 100 years ago yeah, and, that I, sounds and I think I think the opportunity to experience these places in that way is th- that opportunity is closing. That window is closing because I just got back from the Philippines, and you know it's a third world country by and large. Mm. Um, it is a group of islands, archipelago, and I thought we'd be able to get out in the provinces and we'd be away from smartphones and whatever, right? But there's 90 million people in the Philippines, and I swear to God, 87 million of them are carrying a smartphone. No kidding. Um, wow. Even the dirt poorest person I saw walking <laughs> walking along the beach next to a grass hut 
was carrying a smartphone. Wow. Um, it was amazing. That's, that's my mother, my mother's big in her church and they went and did a mission to uh, Malawi in, uh, in Africa. And she said the same thing, you know, they're, there's guys on the side of the road breaking rocks with hammers to make gravel to build the roads yet they have a cell phone yep. but they don't have any way to charge there's no electricity in their house so they're so they go to town and the bazaar has you know a, a stand that has a bunch of car batteries and they give them their phone and you know it's a business they charge yeah. them to charge their phones and that just seemed kind of boggling to well, me. The job that I just left, um, we, we made uh, health apps for smartphones. Okay. And so that kind of has been my my world for the last two years. And um, I think it's next year, might be this year, sometime in the next like one to three years, the number of smartphones on the planet is actually going to exceed the number of people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, because people are carrying more than one in some cases, but, wow. um, it, it is the, the fastest growing piece of technology probably since the wheel, you know, wow. Um, everybody in the world wants a smartphone, no matter what their socioeconomic status is. It's the one thing everybody will Equalizer. make sure they have. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a kind of an equalizer too, because if you... If you can communicate, you can do business, you can you can uh, branch out, you can sort of be a bigger presence than mm -hmm. than just your fruit stand or, you know, whatever it is on the on the side of the road. Right. Um, speaking of business, uh, are you going to be doing any sort of work while you're sailing around the world? Are I'd you going sure to pick like up odd to. jobs when you're out and about or? I, I would sure like to. I, I don't know what's out there. I know it's getting more and more difficult to work in other places if you're not from there. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. It's hard to gauge from, you know, just reading books and and trying to gather information on the Internet. Um, well, it's tough, too, because some of those books were written about experiences 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And things change so thing, quick. Yeah, now things that, are changing fast, really, really fast. Yeah, it's hard to say. And the internet is the internet. You only believe about half of what you can <laughs> read, right? <laughs> yeah, if that. But yeah, I mean, uh, and the pilot world is is interesting. You can do contract work, but it tends to um, it tends to run hot or cold. You, if you're in the right place at the right time, they need a pilot they don't they're not gonna uh grill you on your resume they just need a pilot right mm -hmm. now let's go and so that would be nice but you know i'm not opposed to other things too buy yourself a float plane it's, and uh, just tow it behind you and then <laughs> pull into some tourist areas and there you go <laughs> give rides <laughs> but i mean i'm not opposed to doing other things too you know have other skills like construction and i, I mean i I don't feel above any sort of any sort of work that's productive if it's uh you know a hand well, a hand on a fishing important. boat or yeah. uh you know doing varnish on uh, somebody who's got more money than I do and willing to pay me to do it I don't feel I don't feel above any of it so well that's uh 
we've had several conversations on this show in the past about the economy and where America's at right now. And I think one of our oh. biggest problems is people feeling like work is beneath them, um. that they're too good for a job. It's got to be a career the, the job know, the job if it's not the job then it's not a job i i am going to work sure i think that's i think that's been really hard on our on our economy and hard on our our society as a whole yeah um so you know again i i think getting back to basics is so important yeah we are a country of so much excess um i i love anybody and everybody who like says to hell with it i'm gonna go sail for a period of time and you know just what i have in the boat is all i need you know well i think i think living on the boat for a while you know even in the marina even where life is relatively speaking you know it's pretty easy Mm -hmm. that was a really good start because there's only so much space in here right so you're constantly sort of deciding what needs to be on the boat what has to be on the boat and yeah i had a storage space too so it was a little bit of a cheat but just getting used to the idea that you can only take so much with you right and so how do you live as well as you can on less than maybe we're used to so i think that was a good lesson yeah let's paint a picture for the people who are listening um what type of boat is this how much how much space do you have on here uh, this boat's a Morgan 321, so it's 32 feet long. It was built in 1979, so uh, she's it's older than most of my listeners. She's got <laughs> she's got a, got a few years on her. The previous owner spent a lot of time and money rebuilding it, and he sailed it around the Pacific. So it's got the solar and the wind generation, and you know barbecue on the back. And when you look, when you dig a little deeper, and you and you look at the the dirty underbelly of it, the you know the motor, you could just about eat off the thing, and the wiring is all labeled like nothing I've ever seen before, and <laughs> so that really sold me on, you know, when I bought her. Um, but it's it's pretty it's pretty well equipped, and the systems are all pretty straightforward. I've been through most of them. You know, if you you find something isn't working quite right, so you go and you fix that. And uh, as you know from boats, as, as soon as you pull that piece off, there's three things behind it that probably need attention. And yep. so it's been it's been really good. And especially being at the dock where it's easy to throw a part in your car and go find a replacement or get it repaired, doing those things. But going through the motions of or going through the act of taking taking just about everything on here apart once and putting it back together, I think it gives me a a, a, a confidence mm-hmm. in when we get out there and something goes wrong that I'll be able to deal with it. Right. So, I mean, I would highly recommend that anyone starting or contemplating this sort of trip live on the move onto the boat so that you get a feel for the i was going to say space but lack of space <laughs> right and jesse and i had talked about that a little bit too like uh, maybe we should just get a boat and then move on to it first and get a feeling for what it's like even to just see live you, in that s- small space 
see if you can stand being that close together for any period of time. I'm easy going. I'll, I'll live with anybody as long as they help me get where I need to go. Well, Jesse, Jesse did the sail down from L.A., and it was really fantastic. He's super easy to live with. So, How long did you, you had to get down question? from L.A. to San Diego? Was it, was it three? 52 hours. <laughs> I, I say he's easy to get along with, and, and he says he knows to the minute how long it took, so I'm not sure if that went both ways. For the guy but. who's late all the time, he's very precise <laughs> about time. I don't – you're a man full of contradictions. If they couldn't say – if they couldn't hear, he said 56 hours. Yeah, it took us – when I sailed from San Diego to Ensenada, it took us 19 hours to get there okay. from here. That was on a um, Formosa – um, 40 foot. Okay. And, uh, that was an old boat. Yeah. Not, not as, not as, qu- not quite as colorful as this boat, this wooden boat over here, but pretty close. Some, there's some interesting boats in this anchorage for sure. Yeah. We, uh, we had an interesting trip on that trip. <laughs> uh, flew and, uh, torn sail and, like oh wow! Number of things. Uh, oh, the, the we had there was a bell on the mast, like you know, for like ringing for chow time kind of thing. We're pulling into port in Ensenada. We're already pulling into port because we're having too many problems, and we're just sailing along middle of the night, and the bell just goes, boom, falls off. It's wow, wow, wow. There's omens all around. Well, uh, speaking I, of which, we were talking about superstitions last night. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, call me you don't out, buy huh? into them, huh? I, well, I don't know. You still plan on leaving on a Friday? You guys, you guys gave me so much trash about it. It's going to be Saturday now. So, <laughs> I, see, that's why superstitions can persist because everybody gives you so much grief. You gotta, you gotta. Uh, <laughs> like I can't leave with that much negative energy, whether it's the superstition or just you. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the that's the bottom line. Maybe you guys are putting it out, but uh, yeah, no, I hadn't heard that one before, which is surprising for. That's very surprising. How how long I've sort of been, you know, thinking about it in the world and reading about it, and yeah, it was one of the first things that people told me when I started sailing. It was like never never leave for a cruise on a on a Friday. I, you know, never leave for a cruise on a Friday. I'm pretty sure I I told my dad that that was the, you know, prospective date to go. I'm surprised I didn't get a text back from him that said don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he doesn't buy into superstitions either. Maybe. I don't know. You know, we tend to be like our fathers, right? A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. So uh, the big question, are you growing the sailing beard? <laughs> or are you going to keep that trimmed up as you go? I, you know, I just I haven't had hair on my face in 20 years. and uh, You've got a good Kenny Loggins thing going right I now. Just, I, just, but I think I'd, you might show I'd, up looking like Jerry Garcia. I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd <laughs> give it a chance. Well, and it worked so well for the Duck Dynasty guys. <laughs> I thought I'd give it a shot. We'll <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Um, now, you're going to go join him at some point, right? Hopefully, yeah, May. May. Where, where do you think you'll be in May? Where will you be in May? Somewhere, somewhere in French Polynesia. Yeah, we'll go tool around French Polynesia for a month. For a month? Yep. Be pretty awesome. What, what are the odds that... Uh, You'll you'll stretch that month longer. I don't think I can. I think I'm locked into it. But 
a month will be good. I think I've got like uh, a month and three days. You never know. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be following this one very closely. <laughs> you may get there and go. We really don't need as much as we have. We have everything we need on the boat. Yeah, unless I give my work life up completely i i'm obligated to come back but if i was willing to walk away from it 100 percent, yeah it's happened i i've talked to because because that year that i that i was flirting with sailing around the world i talked to a lot of cruisers a lot of cruisers people have cruised all over the world or they cruise around the atlantic or they cruise around the pacific and there were more than a couple of people who were like yeah we we did it as a fluke and you know, she joined me for a couple of months and And here we are X number of years later. You know, later. ten yeah. years later we haven't gone back. <laughs> well, I may I may have an opportunity to go back in the fall as well to join him then. So I'm holding on to that as as uh, <laughs> maybe a good middle ground in terms of being able to experience the journey with him but still um, keep the bills paid. <laughs> All those pesky bills. Nobody can grab you, though, when you're out in the ocean. Somebody's got to work, right? <laughs> well, like, like I said, perspectives will change. <laughs> Truly get down to basics. See what, see what really works or what doesn't work. You may decide you don't like it by the time you get to Marquesas. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the longest. This leg right here is the longest crossing yep. of any of it all the way around the world. So... Yeah, f funny to start off with that. Jump right into the deep end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be good. Yeah, when I was when I was looking at doing it, I was going to stay along the the coast for a while. Um, probably get down to Acapulco first, right, and then stop in Acapulco and kind of re up on the supplies and make sure that everything was good with the boat, and then Definitely. I would make that jump from there. Well, I mean, and you know, like the sail, the the couple of legs getting down here from san francisco it's good to have a shakedown mm -hmm. yeah just and then and then it's even from mexico still relatively easy to get things shipped in right if you if you um if you break things and you need repairs or and you're not in a rush right well <laughs> easier here definitely yeah so cool well I definitely want to catch back up with you down the road <laughs> or down the wind or however, how would you say that to a sailor? I want to catch up with you in a future port. Absolutely. Um, and see how it's going, see what's see going what, on. See what the reality is versus, uh, you know, the mental picture that I'm leaving with now. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm fully capable of conducting these interviews over Skype. Um, oh, okay. So, you know, if you can find yourself an internet cafe and, all right. A little bit of time. You know, I'd love to get the update from you on where you're at and how things are going. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And how your perspective has changed or not changed. <laughs> or what, what what item on the boat got chucked first in favor of more food? Absolutely. <laughs> what that for me is the one thing I'm always worried about when I think about the trip is, like, do I have enough water? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a concern. Um Right now I'm set up with 27 gallons in the tank and then another 10 gallons in uh, jerry cans. Um, about as bad as the, this crossing can be. The worst that I've heard is about 40 days, and that's right about the limit of mm -hmm. my water resources. 
I uh, have a um, I have a desalination pump, like an emergency desalination pump. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, which is not getting used. Maybe I can send that down for you with Jesse. <laughs> okay. Just just so you have it, just in case. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'd much rather it's with somebody who could use it than sitting in my garage. Yeah. Yeah, I looked into them and uh, and what I did for emergency. I will not emergency, but I've got uh, some means of catching rainwater. Mm-hmm. Though I don't really have a real good grasp on how much that can or will gather. Uh, and then the other thing that sort of goes along with the life raft is a, um, I forget what you call it, but it, it it's an evaporative system. Solar stone. Yeah, solar there you stone. Go. Which doesn't make much, but it'll keep you alive. So Yeah. Again, then you're really testing what the minimum that's, is, right? That's, yeah, that's fairly desperate when you get to that point. It's, yeah. So... Well, in the desalination pump, I got its manual one, so you got to do the work. I so. read, I read an amazing, <laughs> an amazing book. It was uh, seventy-six days adrift, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't think that a story about two people in a life raft for seventy-six days—it was an absolute page turner. Just the the drama, the day-to-day drama that these people went through just to stay alive. And part Mm -hmm. of it was pumping the, you know, you're using the little bit of muscle that you have left to, to keep making water, little energy you've got to make water, keeping the, keeping the raft together. I mean, they had, you know, they were battling the sea turtles, which have barnacles on their backs coming, try to scratch themselves on the, on the raft (laughs) and sharks. And what it was, it's, Highly recommend it. It was you weren't listening. It was unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You don't want to be in the raft. You don't. What is it? Step up into the raft. Right. Last last resort. That's bad news. Yeah. Hopefully that was just a a investment in a nice footrest. (laughs) Well, all the best on your journey, and. Thank you. Like I said, I'm I'm gonna be checking in with Jesse and Svetlana to make sure that I'm getting updates on where you're at and Absolutely. what's going on. And and I definitely, definitely want to have you back on and okay. see where things are at. So, yeah, whatever we gotta do to make that that happen, it'll it'll be a different world, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing your stories. Awesome. Thanks for sitting down and chatting. Cool. Thanks for listening to episode 39 of the Intellectual Podcast. If you haven't visited theintellectual.com, you should do so immediately. It's theintellectual.com. That's intellectual with an X. If you don't know what intellectual with an X means, go to urbandictionary.com and check it out. But go to the Intellectual. Check out all the new shows that we've got coming up. We've got new episodes of Sci-Fi Sunday coming at you every Sunday. We've got a brand new podcast with Alan Wayne and Solomon called the random radio podcast they've just joined the network they've only got two episodes up uh it's a fantastic show they'll be covering uh music uh new emerging artists and uh that sort of thing as well as having open forum similar to the intellectual podcast they're a great uh couple of guys and i think you'll enjoy that show and if you haven't checked out our youtube 
uh, channel. Uh, it's youtube.com slash intellectual network, but you can also find it at theintellectual.com. We've got all sorts of content there from red carpets to our latest interviews uh, with the cast of SciFest in LA. Tons of stuff uh, going on at the website. So check it out, theintellectual.com. <laughs>